1: RCMP officers heading back to the site where the bodies of B.C. murder suspects Ryer Schmigelski and Kamikloud were believed to be found two days ago. That's what sources have told Global News about six officers traveling by boat on Nelson River on Friday afternoon to look for further clues into the suspects' deaths and the murder cases. The journey to the location is just about 15 minutes from the shore of the Manitoba River. We'll bring you all the latest if, if any of that comes back with with developing information that helps better tell the story that has essentially left us with with more questions than answers. And on that note, those that are most directly impacted, the the people that that desperately want these answers and they're likely not going to get them in, in the way that they wish to, are the families directly involved of those who have passed away. So we reached out to Dr. Pauline Boss professor at the University of Minnesota to to chat with us about about the concept of of loss that you you can't quite quite put a finger on. Doctor how are you? I'm fine thank you. Thank you for taking the uh, time to chat with us today. We, we'd, we'd just like you to, to dive into what what the concept of ambiguous loss is.
2: Well ambiguous loss it, unlike death, where there's a verification, a death certificate or a body to bury, ambiguous loss is a loss that has many questions surrounding it. It is a loss that has no, no verification. It's a loss that has many questions surrounding it. Um, for example, in this case, there is a death, but there still are many questions surrounding it. Uh, and, and so the, the unanswered questions cause the ambiguity. And in most of our cultures, at least Western cultures, we don't like that. And, um, in fact, uh, some people say the brain doesn't like that either. And some personalities really hate that. Uh, So we don't do very well with ambiguity. And this um, ambiguous loss that occurs, occurs more in real life than we think. It's not just during disasters, uh, but it certainly is true for what your community is experiencing now.
1: How could how could something like like ambiguous loss affect a person's mental health? What what kind of tangible symptoms or or behaviors could we see coming out of someone who's experienced this?
2: Well, I, I try to take a more normalized um, uh, position, the, the um, rather than a mental health position in this case because the uh, the malfunction is in the situation, not in the person's psyche, but. A malfunction in uh, a ruptured relationship like this that's surrounded with unanswered questions causes great stress and anxiety, sometimes depression over the long haul, but it, it certainly causes people to extend their grief because they don't have enough answers. It's not, you know, a 90-year-old grandparent dying with the body in front of you or the remains Uh, which also can be very sad and cause grief. But this is very different. It has trauma around it. It has anxiety from the ambiguity around it. And it could be that questions may never be answered um, to the satisfaction of the loved loved ones left behind. How do those unanswered unanswered
0: questions impact families, doctor?
2: Unanswered questions, in this culture not all cultures impacts us because it creates an anxiety for us we we not are we are not trained to live with unanswered questions we are trained to solve problems we are trained to find the answers but i dare say in a, in um in minnesota native americans don't see it that way and many people in eastern cultures are not bothered by ambiguity either to that degree they just take it more in stride, which, by the way, is what we have to learn to do, too. Sometimes we will not have an answer to a question, and hopefully most of the time we will. But when we have an unanswered question, we can learn with it by using both and thinking. He is dead and maybe not is something people who have loved ones gone missing use If it's psychological ambiguous loss, like a loved one who's physically present, but has dementia and their mind is gone, you would say, he is here, but also gone. She is is with us, but she's also far away. And that's as close to the truth as you can get, that kind of non-binary answer.
1: Is it difficult to to train yourself to, to think in that way? No, it's not really.
2: It's just that we haven't thought about it. Children catch on real fast. Young people catch on fast. Um, Many people with, you know, more flexible characteristics and so on catch on fast. Um, But many of us, you know, who were trained to solve problems have a harder time with it. However, we can learn. And we can learn that you don't want your airplane pilot to think like this, nor your accountant at the bank. Uh, Two plus two is four and should stay that way. So binary thinking is in fact necessary in many ways, but it doesn't work here. Uh, Absolute thinking doesn't work here, you say. Uh, I have a question that may find an answer and it may never have an answer.
0: Doctor, a lot of people, and naturally so, will be thinking of the families of those allegedly killed by these two suspects. But at the same time, despite the fact that they have committed heinous crimes, uh, the families of the suspects are also suffering loss.
2: Everybody is, yes. You're right, on both sides of the equation. And I would dare say the community people are, too, um, because this is baffling. Um... People don't like random things happening. We like predictability. Our stress levels go down. If, uh, if we have predictability, they go way up if random acts happen. Uh, and so it disturbs everyone. And clearly my heart goes out to the families who are closely involved. Um, this is, is way beyond human expectation.
0: Uh, Doctor, uh, there, there are small communities everywhere, whether it's here in Canada or, or south of the border around Minnesota. How does a community like Gillum, Manitoba, begin to recover from something like this? Because, quite frankly, this is like a Hollywood movie happening in their town of about 1,200 people.
2: Well, I think the first thing is to stop using the word closure uh, because it's a harmful term. It's a perfectly good term to use in business deals or when stores close, or when roads are closed, but in human relationships, even when someone dies or when there are unanswered questions uh, remaining, there is no closure. You you continue to remember the person and the research shows now that we, live, we learn to live with grief, we don't get over it, uh, which is actually less stress-reducing than thinking you have to get over it. Um, that's the first thing. I would get rid of the term closure. What it really means Closure, searching for closure, really means searching for answers, searching for certainty, and finding answers and certainty are better words to use. They're less hurtful to the families. Doctor, when you say- The second thing- Sorry, go ahead. No, you go, you go. The second thing is I compliment you and what you're doing, and that's educating the public to know that these things sometimes don't have an answer and that we shouldn't use the term closure in this way, and that we can, as human beings, learn how to live with unanswered questions because we know various cultural groups already do, and we can learn from them, take a more flexible hold of things.
1: Dr. It's fascinating. When you say that closure is a harmful term, because I think in in my experiences, everyone kind of pulls that as as what they want out of something. Right. They want closure for the end of a relationship. They want closure for the death of a family member or, or in this extreme case, murder or, or something along those lines. So can you just take us a little bit more in, into why closure is, in your opinion, a harmful term? Well, I think once you have a close attachment
2: to someone or even something like a pet, uh, if they disappear or if they die, um, and someone says, if you grieve correctly, the five stages of grief, and then you will have closure. If you cannot then reach it, and most people can't, I mean, it's elusive, then you feel like a failure. And so your grief is more problematic than it would have been in the first place if someone would have said to you, we now know you can live with grief. Sometimes you have a sad moment, and then other times you're happy and you go on with your life. And I'm not talking about the first raw moments, the first raw months. Uh, after a a loss, but I'm talking about 20 years later, 15 years later. Do you think, really, people forget? No, they don't. And so when you say there should be closure, then they feel there's something wrong with themselves. And so it's a big relief to people to find out that they can learn to live with loss uh, rather than finding closure.
0: Doctor, most often first responders are forgotten in this situation and they're the ones that have been on the front lines dealing with this day after day after day how do they how how do you suggest they react and, and deal with what they've been through over the last couple of weeks
2: well if you're talking about professionals i think you are right
0: like yes, talking about and like police officers. The, yeah, uh, yeah, You know, uh, any sort of first responder that's been involved in this case.
2: Well, it's very tough on them, too, not to find answers. I, I think, you know, not to close the case. So they use closure in a different way. Close the case. Close the mystery. Solve the mystery. Um, and it's like those of us who've been therapists, psychotherapists, now and then, we have a failure. We can't we can't have a perfect case every time. And if you think you can, it's hubris. And so now and then, professionals can't find all the answers. But in this case, it's way too early to say that, I would guess. and I would think overall, as far as I can tell about the professionals uh, in Canada who do this kind of work, uh, you are blessed with very competent people and they will do their best and they will find the answers they can. And the answers they can't find, they too have to learn to live with that just as the public does and the families do.
1: It's interesting, I, I to me the reoccurring theme is that with ambiguous loss, you're you're asking them to to say, "I can live with not knowing," and and that can be enough. I, is that generally the the direction that that it. we all should be moving towards? Like even just day to day life, does that make life easier for us?
2: Yes, but again, not for everything. You don't want your banker to think this way, and so on. I mean, I hope you can solve in your lives, in my life too. 98% of the problems that face this, that's probably optimistic, by the way. <laughs> um, but m- let's say the majority of our problems and questions, we can find the answers. But now and then, something comes forward, uh, and you have no answer, or you can't find a solution, you know, a terminal illness for something, or something like that. And then you have to switch gears, and, and then use both-and thinking. I can, I can live with the sadness, if I also find some joy now and then,
1: Dr. Pauline Boss, a professor at the University of Minnesota, with fascinating conversation that I think I'm, it's it's think you're thinking about life differently with with, with this way of thinking, and I think that's true. I think that's, that's really true. really special. And thank you for sharing this perspective with us. Thanks for having me. Just wrapped up. A very compelling conversation with Dr. Pauline Boss, a professor at the University of Minnesota, to talk about ambiguous loss. And we framed that in the context of the families of the B.C. murder suspects and the victims and if they'll ever really get closure. And obviously, this is a story that's captured our attention for weeks before the manhunt was over. And as it continues to with RCMP returning to the Nelson River to search for clues, Robert Creaser is the communications officer with the Mounted Police Professional Association of Canada. He's also a former RCMP officer. Here are some of his thoughts after the manhunt.
3: Well, I think what we're learning, or what we have learned, is it's critical um, that the public be engaged. And I think in this particular case, they were. And that's what ultimately led us to an area where uh, these two bodies were located. Um... It sounds, uh, I'm, I haven't been to the area in Manitoba where much of the search has been concentrated, but it sounds extremely rugged terrain just in terms of what they had to go to once the bodies were located to get them out um it's been difficult searching and it's certainly taken its toll not only on the members doing the frontline searching but the the people that have been uh, tasked with evaluating um, public information and sightings etc
1: so would we do anything differently
3: very difficult question, and I'm afraid one that I can't answer because I'm not privy to all the uh, information that the police had at their disposal when um, when those bodies were found in northern B.C., and what led them to eventually uh, believe that these two young men were involved in those deaths. So without having that kind of information, sure. I think it's, it's key that they, they got the pictures of these gentlemen out as quickly as we could. And, like, why it lasted so long, only, you know, the two people that once they were identified, and I don't know whether they had access to the media, I would imagine they did, they chose not to turn themselves in, and that's what happens when uh, people try and duck for cover, so to speak, that it, it takes as long as it takes to, to find them.
1: And earlier Brad asked Dr. Pauline Boss about the impact on the RCMP and those first responders dealing with this loss, and Robert shares his own thoughts on the matter.
3: Oh, it'll take a huge toll, uh, not only emotionally and physically for those people that were especially physically for the frontline search- searchers, but emotionally too, you can well imagine that they're they're chasing down murder suspects, they're in extremely rugged and dangerous terrain, and they don't know where these guys are, and they know that they're armed, they know that they've had access to guns, so I mean you're you have to be hyper vigilant, and my only hope is is that the folks that were involved, especially the front line folks, are given um, time off. With loved ones to uh, to recuperate, because it's going to be it's going to be needed.
1: and as we told you, all this after people in a northern Manitoba town saying it'll take some time for things to return to normal after that massive manhunt for the two murder suspects from BC and in the unforgiving terrain near their community. Gillum artist Dakota Masson says people were staying inside with their doors locked after a burned out vehicle used by the two suspects was found nearby because obviously this has had a huge impact on the community. They're scared. And when it learned the threat was over, it was a huge relief.
2: The best
3: way to describe it is as if the dam that was holding out all these emotions and feelings
2: from the townsfolk kind of opened up and I think all of us kind of felt that weight get lifted off our shoulders.